to um, worship the Lord anytime. But it's, it's uniquely special at Christmas time, isn't it? Um, because this is when we think and remember what Morgan just sang about. You know, our, our Lord, our God, came from heaven to earth, became like us. So next Sunday morning, uh, we're going to finish this series about obeying with all of your heart. Don't miss next Sunday morning. And if you have to be out, then maybe you can catch us on Facebook or YouTube. Because this next Sunday, we'll be talking about the greatest example of what it means to obey the Lord with all your heart. For those of you who are new, this may be your first time or maybe you're catching up, but uh, we've been looking at that phrase, with all our heart, which is repeated many times throughout the scriptures and it's connected with about seven different things. We've looked at the first three, we're considering the fourth. We've talked about loving the Lord, which is the greatest commandment in all the commandments. In all the Bible, Jesus said to love the Lord with all your heart. We talked about seeking the Lord with all of our heart, serving the Lord with all of our heart, and now we're considering obey the Lord with all of our heart. So I want us to, we've talked about how the Christmas story illustrates obedience. Mary illustrated obedience. Young virgin girl had to receive what she did not understand. She was going to be uh, made uh, a mother by the Holy Spirit without ever having been with a man. And she said, let it be unto me. I'm, I'm here. I'm your servant. Let it be to me as you have spoken. So she surrendered. She obeyed when it didn't make sense, when it was illogical, when it seemed impossible. She obeyed. We looked last week at the life of Joseph and how Joseph had to obey. He gave up his plans. He adjusted his plans to go with God's plan. And he adjusted his decisions to follow God's decisions. Today I want us to look at Joseph and Mary as a couple and the wise men and to see how they obeyed God and what it means for us when we're talking about obeying God. Turn if you have your Bibles or you can look on the screen in Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. This is probably one of the most familiar passages of scripture when it comes to the Christmas story. And by the way, we rehearse it year after year after year after year every Christmas. Then we do the same thing at Easter. We rehearse that story of his crucifixion and his resurrection every year. Why do we do that? Because this is what our faith is founded on. The birth, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If it weren't for Jesus, we would be nowhere. We would be headed for a devil's hell. That's why we rehearse it year after year. It's a sweet, sweet story. But here is what he says in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. I want you to notice that Joseph and Mary, as a couple, this young married couple, one of the first things that they did as a young, newly wed couple was to submit themselves to the governing authorities. They obeyed human authority. 
Now, if anybody had a right, or maybe not a right, but at least an excuse or a very good reason for not obeying the governing authorities, it would have been Joseph and Mary. They were, after all, newlyweds. They had to make a long, difficult journey from the hill country of Nazareth down into the, even the low hill country of Bethlehem. And it would have been an arduous journey, especially if you're almost nine months pregnant. How about that, Rebecca and Haley? Can you imagine riding a donkey? We don't know that she rode a donkey. I can't imagine that would be any more comfortable than walking if you're that pregnant. But she had every excuse. She probably had every reason to say, no, we're not going to make that journey. But why did they have to make that journey? Well, verse 1 says, a decree went out from Caesar. A decree means a formal and authoritative order, especially one having the force of law. In other words, a law was commanded that everybody in the whole world, notice verse 1, all the world, everyone under his jurisdiction. See, of course, Caesar thought he ruled the world at that time, and much of the world he did rule. So Joseph and Mary were under his authority. Did they want to be? Of course not. Nobody in a Jewish world wanted to be under Roman authority. They wanted to be a self-governing nation. So they had to make a decision. Am I going to do, are we going to do what's convenient and comfortable, what we would rather do than do what is inconvenient and uncomfortable and what we don't want to do in order to obey this law? Well, we know what happened. Luke 2 tells us the story. It's easy to overlook, but there it is. Joseph and Mary yielding, submitting as a newly wed couple to human authority. Jesus was asked a question. You know, Rome at that day, uh, Israel at that day was under Roman rule. They didn't like it. It was imposed upon them. They resisted at every chance they got. In fact, there was a whole group of people called the Zealots that resisted Roman rule. Their whole purpose of existence, the zealots, was to zealously oppose Roman rule in every way they possibly could. They refused to pay taxes. And of course, if they were caught, they would be beaten, imprisoned, maybe even crucified. But one day, Jesus was asked a question. The question was this. They brought him and said to him, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Rome? You remember what Jesus did? He said, bring me a coin. They brought him a coin. And he said, whose inscription is on this coin? Whose image is on this coin? And they said, Caesar's. You remember what Jesus said. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. So Jesus himself, after he grew up to be a man and began his ministry, was saying, we all as disciples of Jesus Christ, who serve the living God, still must surrender and submit to the governing authorities. Paul repeated this in Romans chapter 13. And in case you don't know, when he wrote this, Nero was the Roman emperor. And Nero was one of the most sadistic, demented Roman rulers that ever existed. And Paul wrote this under his rule. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. 
For there is no authority except from God. How could Paul write that? Knowing who was on the throne. Knowing who was over human government. It was Nero. And he said, even him has been put there by God. Even he. And the authorities, Paul said, that exist are appointed by God. That's hard to swallow. When Nero is in charge. Or when whoever you don't like or we don't like is in charge. That's hard to accept, isn't it? And then he goes on to say in verse 2, whoever resists the authority is resisting the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. In other words, if we resist human authority, we're resisting God's authority. Titus, Paul was writing to Titus. Titus was a young pastor. And he had the unenviable assignment of setting in order the church at Crete. And Paul is giving him some direction as how to get the church in order. And in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. It's very important that we keep that in mind, that we don't really have a choice but to obey those that God has put in authority over us. That includes our parents. Those of you who are still under the rule and authority of your parents living at home, Paul writes these words in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So, so teenagers, little children, have no, we, have, we have no op- option. We have no recourse but to obey our parents, even if we don't agree. Even if we don't like what they say, we have to submit ourselves. What about employer, employees to employers? Well, Paul goes on to say something about that in Colossians 3.22. He says, bond servants. Now, that back then, a bond servant, of course, was more like a slave. But we're going to translate that into modern society where those don't much exist anymore, but employees exist where you are under the uh, authority of your employer. He says, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. So you see, God gives us a command as followers of Jesus Christ. If we're going to obey Christ, if we're going to obey God, then we must obey the governing authorities. We may not like the laws, but we must submit to them. But I want to introduce something else. When we go over to Matthew chapter 2, and we talk about the wise men. This may seem like a contradictory statement, but it indeed it is not. Because you know the story of the wise men. How the wise men uh, saw the star in the east... And they followed the star, and they came to King Herod. And they asked of King Herod, where is he who's been born, king of the Jews? Well, Herod, that that disturbed him. Wait a minute, I'm the king of the Jews. What are you talking about, somebody who's born king of the Jews? Well, Herod didn't really know much about that. So he called the scribes and the priests and the Pharisees together. He said, hey, tell me, what's what's going on here? What's the prophecy say about this king of the Jews? Where is he supposed to be born? Well, they told him, well, it's Bethlehem. So Herod comes back to the wise men. He says, well, I found out it's in Bethlehem. You go, guys, go search for this young child. And when you find him, bring word back to me because I want to go and worship him too. Well, of course, Herod was being quite deceitful. He had no intention of going to worship Jesus Christ. 
He, of course, wanted to go kill him, eradicate him, get rid of the threat. And so he commanded the wise men. He said, when you find him, what was the command? Come back to me. Bring word back to me. But we find in Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, these words. Then being divinely warned in a dream. Divinely. What does that mean? God. Warned by God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. So you see, part of our obedience to Christ is obeying human authority, but also it's obeying God over man. Even man, human authority. Now let me give you a little caveat here to help you understand the difference. There are things in our lives, like in Mary and Joseph's life, she was expecting a baby, large and ready to deliver. Very uncomfortable, very inconvenient, very not, much, very not their preference to go. I don't want to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem just because the law said we had to do it. Doesn't he realize how pregnant I am? What a difficult journey that would be. I don't want to do it. That's a preference. That's something you desire. You see, there are some laws, there's laws in our land that may be inconvenient. When the law speed limit says 45 and you'd rather do 65, you have to submit to the law and do 45. When the law says stop, it doesn't say roll through. It says stop and you're in a hurry. The law, your, your preference is I got to keep going. The law says stop. When the law says that we're to pay taxes and oh, it's very inconvenient to pay taxes. It's not only inconvenient to our pocketbook and our bank account, it's actually inconvenient because we got to prepare a tax return or pay somebody to prepare our tax return and got to get all of our affairs and paperwork in order. That's inconvenient, but we have to submit to it. We have to do it. And that's what Joseph and Mary had to do. But then, sometimes there are laws that are made that violate not our preferences, our principles, our faith. Those are laws that cannot be obeyed. Those are laws where you have to exalt God's authority over human authority. Such was the case of the wise men. They chose to obey God over Herod. Another example, I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. And you know the story quite well. These three boys were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar when he invaded Jerusalem and brought all the, many of, most of the population into Babylon in exile. These young boys were wise and were actually servants of the king. But you remember the king built a, a gold statue. And a command was given in Daniel chapter 3, in verse 4, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. At the time you hear the music, you must bow down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Well, the music started playing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't bow. Well, it was hard to hide the fact that these servants of the king were not bowing. So word got back to the king. Hey, king, do you realize three of your highest officials 
are not bowing or not obeying your command. Well, this enraged the king. He had them brought into his presence. He confronted them. He said, look, guys, I'm going to give you one more chance. When you hear the sound of the music, you bow and you'll be fine. But if you don't bow, you're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And what God will deliver you then? And here's how they answered in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You see, they had a command that was higher than the king's command. They had the king of kings command. And the king of kings command said in the very first commandment, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. In the second command, he said, You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God. You see, there was a higher command they had to obey. Daniel himself, in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was basically second in command. And now the Medes and the Persians had overthrown the Babylonians, so Nebuchadnezzar is no longer in charge. Darius is in charge. And Darius and Daniel had a, a mutual friendship, if you would. Well, Darius was tricked because there were some of Daniel's contemporaries and peers who despised him because he was so well-favored, so well-liked, and he was such a clean person, holy person. They wanted to trap him into doing something wrong, get him in trouble. So they tricked Darius into signing a decree that nobody could pray or make a petition of any god or man except the king for 30 days. And we pick it up in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 where it says, Now when Daniel knew that this writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And it wasn't to spite the king, because it says that was his custom since he was a boy. Something he'd always been doing, praying. He was not going to let the king and the decree the law that told him what he couldn't do to stop him for what he should be doing. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were given a command of what to do, and they didn't do it to honor God. Daniel was told what he couldn't do, and he did it in order to honor God. You see, they put God's authority over man's. A New Testament example would be Peter and John. Peter and John had already been arrested in Acts chapter 5. They had been thrown into prison. Acts chapter 5 says the angel came and opened the prison doors and they went out. Instead of going home and cowering in the corner so they don't get caught again, they went straight back to the temple and began preaching Jesus Christ. Then the Pharisees and the religious leaders came and said, Hey, didn't we just throw you in prison? By the way, they were baffled at how they ever got out of prison in the first place you go back and read Acts chapter 5, but he said, hey, you know, didn't we tell you not to speak in this name anymore? Isn't that why you were in prison in the first place? Man, shut up and quit talking about Jesus. We don't want to hear any more of that. And Peter, Acts 5, 29, and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. 
You see, there comes a time in your life where you're going to have to choose God over man, over human authority, God over popular opinion, God over law. The whole period of the tribulation is going to be people having to make that kind of choice. And if they make the right choice, it's going to feel like the wrong choice because they're going to get their heads cut off. Or they're going to be beaten and slain with the sword or with the gun or with whatever weapon. Because to identify with Christ in that period of time invites certain death. I hope we don't live to have to face those kinds of decisions. But if you ever do. And this is true if you're an employer. Or any human authority asks you to do something that violates your faith. Your commitment to Christ. You don't have a choice but to obey God. But when you do, you need to explain to your human authority. Sir, ma'am, I respect you. And I've tried to obey you. I've tried to do what you want me to do. But I have to, I have to let you know that I cannot obey this command. And here's why. Because... The one who put you where you are, who put you in the position that you're in, I respect him more. And his name is Jesus. And I follow him first and foremost. And what you're asking me to do violates what he's told me to do. I hope you can respect that. You may lose your job. You may lose your friendship. But you could be promoted. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got promoted Because they wouldn't obey man. Very first chapter of Daniel tells us that. They wouldn't eat the king's meat. And because they wouldn't eat the king's meat, you'd think they got in trouble. No, they got promoted. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow. You'd think they got thrown in the fiery furnace. Well, they did. But they didn't get burned up. After that, God delivered them. They got promoted. Daniel didn't get eat up by the lions. He got thrown in the lions then because he wouldn't. He 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 prayed. When he was told not to pray. Don't let them tell you at school you can't pray. Publicly. Don't tell, let them tell you they can't bring, you can't bring your Bible and read it and use it. That's a violation of your faith. And if more Christians would stand up to their governing authorities, I think we might make a difference in this country. But we've bowed to the will of man over the will of God. And the Christmas story tells us we can't do that. This young married couple, these three teenage boys didn't do it. Interesting. We're learning lessons in the Bible from teenagers. And lastly, young Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 21. Luke 2, 21, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And then verse 39 says, So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. Mary and Joseph obeyed their human authorities. We see the wise men obeyed God over man. And now we see this young couple again obeying the scriptures, obeying the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord of circumcision, eight days, they performed that for Christ. The law of the Lord was for Mary to be, after a, a woman gave birth, she was considered ceremonially unclean. Leviticus chapter 12 Verse 1 says, or, uh, says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. So they were keeping that law. Now I want to say a word about that. Charles Stanley, in um, one of the Bibles that I use, wrote these about that interesting command about a woman's purification and going through that 40 days or 37 days for a male and even longer for a girl baby. So let me just read what he wrote in case you go, what is the deal with that? I don't get Leviticus. That's not where you do your daily Bible reading, is it? But let me just read what Charles Stanley said. It really puts it in perspective. All of God's commands are for our good and well-being. Of course, it's easier to understand some of them more than others. We agree that we should not murder anyone or steal. However, we might wonder how the commands of Leviticus 12 are still essential for our life. Certainly, Leviticus 12 is not very politically correct declaring women who have just given birth as unclean. But to be unclean meant that a person was morally or ceremonially defiled because they had come in contact with blood. A disease such as leprosy, food forbidden by God, or a dead person or a dead animal. All those reasons would consider one ceremonially unclean. As a result, that unclean person was not permitted to touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary, the temple, until the days of her purification were fulfilled. For the new mother, the purification time was to last 40 days for a boy and 80 days for a girl. I'm not going to make any comment. <laughs> One may wonder why God would order such a law. After all, aren't children supposed to be a blessing? Yet to understand the significance of God's command, we must realize that the majority of ancient cultures required women to return to their daily chores immediately after childbirth. Those societies took no notice of the needs of the mother of the child or the child to their great detriment. However, the Hebrew culture was different because of the commands of God. Jewish women were able to recuperate during their time of purification, regaining their strength and bonding with the baby. 
Instead of an unimportant afterthought, the babies would not only have the undivided attention of their mother, but the whole household would have to pull together to care for them because the mother couldn't do any cooking or cleaning. Sorry, Adam. <laughs> so as you can see and read, so as you can see, the time of purification, God's command was actually a blessing for the mom and the baby for 40 days. Couldn't do a thing but sit on the couch and nursing or taking care of that baby. See, God's commands are not burdensome. We look at God's commands and say, I don't want to do that. Now look, we're not under the Jewish law anymore. That's not the law for us today. But we have the word of God. We have principles and truths that we must live by. They were, Mary and Joseph were obeying what they knew and had been taught from when they were young. The scriptures, they had been knowing these things all along. So when they had a baby, it was just natural for them. It was done for them. Their mothers did it. Their fathers did it. They were taught these things. Like Colossians chapter 2 tells us in verse 7, Paul writes these words. Let's be rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith as you have been taught. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our letter. And then in 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul wrote to Timothy this infamous, or this not infamous, this very famous passage of Scripture, that from childhood, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. You see, these things that you've been taught, that you've learned all these years, and that you know are in the Word of God, just obey them what Mary and Joseph did. They just obeyed what they had been taught all along. They didn't cast them aside because it was not popular, because it wasn't convenient. They obeyed. They submitted to the governing authorities. They submitted as the wise men did to the authority of God over man, and they just obeyed what God's word said. Now, they didn't do it perfectly, I'm sure, throughout the course of their lives, and neither will we. That's why we need grace. That's why we needed the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all sin. By the way, this morning, if you're an unbeliever still, if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your obedience is not what the Lord is looking for right now. In fact, what he's looking for, in fact, the first thing you can do to obey the Lord, Jesus was asked this question. What should we do to do the works of God? Jesus simply said, Believe on the one he sent. So the first thing you must obey if you're still an unbeliever, still in doubt, still wondering, the first thing you can do is not rush out and try to obey the law. Not try to obey every speed limit and go one mile under and, and be a good person and, a, and, and make sure you don't ever do anything wrong and, and maybe you'll get to heaven. No, that's not what you should do. You'll die and go to hell. Being a perfectly obedient person, you'll die and go to hell. The first thing you must do in order to obey God is to believe in the one he sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was sent, and that's what I'm going to talk about next week. I want to show you how Jesus, even Jesus, obeyed. And the first thing you must do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The next step would be what you saw last week. The believer's baptism. That's the first step of obedience. 
is once you give your heart to Christ, you take that step of faith. You profess him before men through believer's baptism. Then the next step is you just keep growing, keep going and getting in his word and spending time with other believers and getting to know the Lord and following him. And you're going to mess up. You're going to, you're going to trip and fall. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to find yourselves at sometimes disobedient. But he is always faithful. You see, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not whether how obedient they are. I would hope that a believer would be more obedient than an unbeliever. But there are many fine, upstanding, law-abiding unbelievers out there. And unfortunately, there are some rebellious believers who are living in, in away from God, distant from God, but they need to come back and repent. But the main difference is not how obedient they are. The main difference is, is Jesus in them or is he not? Have they placed their faith in Jesus? And that's the difference from any one of us here today. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? You see, he's the motivating factor for our obedience. He's the one that helps me obey. He's the one that motivates me to want to obey. He's the one that obeyed first. So that I could even have a chance of being saved. Would you bow with me this morning? Maybe as a believer you find yourself this morning living in a state of disobedience. And you know it. You've been convicted of it. Not, even, not just today, but for months. Maybe for weeks. Maybe even years. You've been convicted of your disobedience. Maybe it's one particular area that you're rebelling against God in. Or maybe it's many. You're just backslidden. And God is drawing you back in. 